All right. Well, uh, so here we are, and I, I'm I'm gonna tell you something that right. uh, uh, will uh, I mean shock is is not the right word, but will uh, titillate you. Um, Ooh, go on. <laughs> so go, uh, according go to uh, the Guardian, China's state news agency uh, Xinhua this week introduced the newest members of its newsroom. Artificially intelligent anchors who will report tirelessly all day, every day, from anywhere in the country. <laughs> all right. Yes, I think I've I've heard uh, I've heard tell of these these um, I guess mir- miracles or abominations, depending on how this podcast ends today. Yeah, and, and what I'm interested about in with this is is a couple things. One, uh, hopefully, it gives me a chance to talk about William Morris's news from nowhere. Uh, perhaps the most uh, interesting uh, and most boring utopia. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, also, uh, let's just, uh, I'd like to think about this word news, because I think mm. it's a word that gets scanned so frequently that it begins to sort of disappear uh, I- I- into its own implicit implied meaning, even if that uh, implied meaning can actually be unpacked quite a bit. Because... Uh, and, and it's worth it. I'll, I'll finish this quote from this artificially intelligent news anchor uh, who said, The development of the media industry calls for continuous innovation and deep integration with the international advanced technologies. I look forward to bringing you brand new news experiences. And so this new news thing, I think, is really fascinating because it, it ends up, you know, you could imagine if this is new news, then in the future we'll have new, new news, and et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> right? Like. Ah. Yes, it does remind me a little bit of like remember when like the Gillette Three uh, came out a while back, and suddenly there were the razor wars, where the entire strategy for winning was essentially adding more blades to the razor. I think Schick and Gillette were going back and forth, just like stacking in blades. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. New, new news. So, uh, and I'm interested in that because it, it it speaks, I think, to tendencies that we've discussed on the podcast about sort of technological progressivism and this this idea that simply the arrival of certain technologies uh, are, are the ways that we understand and know that that we're progressing towards some kind of better future. But the the real question here, I think, about artificial intelligent news anchors is sort of, so what? This is Darian Bates. And this is Dr. Tobias Wilson-Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots. It's the podcast about how we make our technology. And how our technology makes us. Yeah. Well, okay. So... Yeah, I think the, I think the place I would love to start on this is actually maybe to go to go right to the uh, core and you sort of bring it up, which is like, what is news? And and really, when you think about that term, what's new about news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and also, what is news if it's not new things? You right. know. So so I mean, so I guess when we get down to it, so where does because news is a different thing than journalism, even though I think we think of them as the same things. Like, journalism and news are not exactly synonymous, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's worth, it's worth breaking that down even a little bit further in, tor- in terms of what is broadcast news and what is an anchor. 
because right. these are these are also things the sort of the talking head has become seemingly synonymous with what news is but really what we're talking about is a very specific little news formation like uh, right it, it would be but, like saying like a, a bicycle is an airplane you know because right. they're both transportation you're like well not we're, really Right. I think it's very easy for us to kind of like generalize the media. Um, obviously, we have a tendency, especially rhetorically in politics right now, to sort of generalize the media and say that the media are terrible or the media are the fifth estate and they're essential to democracy. And you can kind of be on either side of that or you can be on one side or the other. You can love one form of media and hate the other form of media and then then but denigrate the whole form as if um, as if there is some kind of implicit value to it. Um, and, and I think there, there's an implicit value to, I think, the effort that people are making in trying to, in trying to surface information, um, which I think is really what we're talking about when we talk about the media is, is this kind of like social effort to surface information. And sometimes it's very interested and sometimes it pretends to be disinterested. Um, but, but news, as we think about it, particularly as we think about it in the context of TV news, it has a really interesting history, right? Because I think TV in general has this really fascinating history, which is it's such TV kind of has lived for about 60 years as this almost like this assumed kind of hero of our age. And we it may not be a, it may be a very um, uh, picaresque hero, <laughs> but it is still it's still we've come to believe that TV is the the ultimate of kind of topicality and being au courant, right? Being mm -hmm. like in the public eye, are you on TV, right? Yeah. But but when TV first started, TV was like a joke. TV was a joke relative to like radio was like the legit thing, right? Yeah. Radio yeah. was like, yeah, like like who's going to get in on this TV thing? That's That's ridiculous. Like let let's go back to our uh, let's go back to our radio sets and listen to the broadcast. Yeah, and it's worth saying just to to drop a little uh, tidbit in here that in 1948, when the uh, first news anchor was on television, this guy named Douglas Edwards. Um, part of the reason he, as a young man, became the first news anchor was because none of uh, CBS's radio talent wanted to do the TV thing. Like they mm -hmm. felt like it was sort of a step backwards to go from being to go from being like a radio host to being a TV anchor, right? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Right, and th and there's an, an an analog in the in in cinema, right? Like cinema was similarly conceived as being like kind of a ridiculous form, like it's not the theater, right? Cinema was this kind of junky secondary um, media medium to mm -hmm. kind of the real form. And so I think both radio broadcast and theater compared to TV and film um, is, it's kind of like they're, they're analogous in that way. Um, yeah, so the idea that this guy just kind of steps in and becomes the first, um, the first anchor, as it were, um, was really just because nobody else would want to do it. Yeah, and now, and now we're 70 years later and, and I think what's interesting to me about these artificially intelligent anchors is it seems to hail the sort of, to my mind, the end of the anchor as a, mm -hmm. as a meaningful figure. Um, right. As this kind of arbiter or, or gatekeeper to truth and, and, and a face that you can trust, right? Like mm -hmm. a voice that sounds like it's full of gravitas and that 
Um, and part of that strikes me is because the news, the new things, I don't just mean news as in, you know, CBS news, but new things uh, given social media and the internet uh, are discovered and, and broadcast like at the speed that they happen, you know? Uh, right. You know, the, there's like, uh, there, there's this interesting thing. Um, one of the fascinating things about the Titanic as a tragedy is that there was a wireless radio on board the Titanic. And so mm. even though uh, a lot of the nearby ships like weren't close enough to get there and intervene in time to save enough people, um, they did radio out. And, that, that, and the people on land found out the Tita- that the Titanic was sinking while the Titanic was, sh- was sinking. Mm. And that was part of the crazy trauma of it was that like people were finding out in real time that this massive, you know, in, in that way that 9-11 a lot, sticks out with a lot of people because so many people remember that tragedy in real time. Right. Um, right. And n- now and everything's like that. You know, you, you get people like live blogging being in the middle of a fire, you know. Right. And it's, and it's worth pointing out that the place where the t- you know, television news and really the anchor became the, the big kind of seminal thing, it's, you know, the voice you can trust, the face you can trust to whatever, was really around Vietnam, where, again, it's kind of, you're saying the viscerality of seeing images broadcast from the front, and then having like Walter Cronkite um, sitting in front of those and, and speaking to them, Mm -hmm. um, again, is where, it's where it was cutting through, um, and suddenly presenting itself as being kind of this access point being this um, kind of th- this this entry into a world of, of seeming truth that had been previously screened off. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the truth that was being presented, and I think in all of these circumstances, was um, like it, w- it, it was in fact true. I'm not, pre- I'm not pre- presenting it as being it was, it was an alloy truth, although what is truth? But it would like bequeathed upon these people who are sitting there in front of this these images with this kind of oracular um, presence. Right. Like, they, like Walter Cronkite was the face and the voice you could trust because he was sitting at the forefront of this medium that was providing people with new access to this. But if you really think about what a news anchor is, they might have some editorial say in what is being presented about the information. But mm-hmm. not really. They're actors, right? They, they, you know, they are. They're performers, right? Like that. Like they, they. There is more. You get more preparation to be a news anchor by going to an acting school than you would by going to a journalism school. Right. Right. So what you're Which saying is, is this: the artificially intelligent news anchor is sort of a lateral move. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like. It's it's basically taking advantage of the fact that like I guess like I mean they're not like an artificially intelligent news anchor is unlikely to lie about its past like Brian Williams or it's, un- <laughs> it's unlikely or to Bill O'Reilly in, there's a right, bunch of those right or an independent Me Too situation like uh, Charlie Rose yeah but or who was the one on the the Good Morning Show. Lauer? Uh, oh, Lauer. Right. In fact, Lauer is a better example because actually I think it's worth pointing out the difference between Lauer and Charlie Rose. Um, and Charlie Rose isn't a news anchor. Charlie Rose is, an, uh, is, is much more of a, um, 
he interviews people, which is not the same thing as being a news anchor, right? Right, right. Um, you might say it says it's equally as, uh, you know, vapid, but, um, <laughs> and it, but no, I, I mean, I don't think it is. I think a good interview really is, a good interviewer is doing something really important. You could argue whether who is and isn't a good interviewer, but there is something that's happening there. Versus a news anchor is essentially reading off of the scripts for the day. And whether they provide um, editorial oversight or not has more to do with how whether they have aspirations beyond being a news anchor, not whether they should be a news anchor, right? Yeah. I, uh, maybe, uh, I'll, maybe this is a good point time to throw in News From Nowhere by mm -hmm. William Morris. Uh, yeah. So this is a great book. The, the older I get, the more I like this book. Um, so the new, News From Nowhere. Okay, yes. so what is this book? So News from Nowhere is published in the, the late, 18, late 1880s by this guy, William Morris. William Morris was a, uh, was a, a, a kind of Fabian society type, which means to say he was a, a kind of radical socialist in late 19th century England. Um, and he was really into craft. He, mm. if, if you Google William Morris, one of the things you'll get is all this really beautiful wallpaper he made. Mm like incredible sort of bespoke patterns. I, that's probably not the right word, but the w wallpaper with like lots of leaves and birds and not necessarily uh, like repeated patterns, but repeated with difference. So it's almost like a kind of organic Arthurian fractal kind of thing that comes up. Mm -hmm. And he, he really had this idea that Basically, we could sort of step away from industrialism and industrial capitalism, mm -hmm. and we could move towards this side of sort of centralized pastoral existence that really focused human energy on creating beauty. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a bit, you know, kind of maybe small L libertarian, like there's no real need for a central government anymore. Mm -hmm. um, People, marriage is no longer really a thing. People can couple or decouple as they like. Uh, centralized education is not a thing anymore. Factories are no longer a thing. But what gets mm -hmm. really interesting is like books and museums aren't really a thing either. Mm -hmm. That you get to this point where the 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 joke in the title is no, nowhere, of course, is like a byword for utopia because this the right. central character is really discontent with like. London, and then he goes home, and he falls asleep, and he wakes up in the future. Hmm. Um, and in the future, there's no more factories. Everything is green. Everyone's just chilled out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there's not really even a plot to this book. Like, the guy just wanders around and just has conversations. Mm -hmm. He runs into, he's like, well, how did we get here? You know, like, how did we go from that society to this one? And they're like, well, nobody, you know, we don't really keep track of that stuff. But hmm. th there's one guy who's kind of a historian, and that guy's like, yeah, you know, capitalism and industrialism really fetishized collecting information and recording causality and, like, pushing information into these set forms. But that's not really how we do it anymore. We just sort hmm. of, we just, you know, if you want to read some stories, you can. But otherwise, we just take pleasure in making things. Um, and it's pretty it sounds great. Sounds like there are there there are no chirons and like, you know, red you know red breaking news alerts coming up on people's iwatches. No zero zero. <laughs> right. Um, and there's a he, he. It's not total just like, you know, dreamy dreamy stuff. Like, um, the 
there, there's the intimation that basically because everyone's forgotten history and hasn't really studied it, there's no reason that this form of society is a stable one. It's like mm. it's unclear that they won't collapse back into capitalism or something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people who just don't, who want to just kind of coast off of other people's labor and they have, don't really have a solution for that. And now that marriage no longer exists, that doesn't mean relationship conflict doesn't exist anymore and like murder still exists and this kind of stuff, but they just have more communal ways to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, blah, 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 I, I, sorry to tell you the whole story, but the guy, he wakes up at the end and he's like, was it a dream or a vision? Uh, and the reason I bring it up here, um, and I really do, uh, all, all, all our listener out there, uh, go <laughs> and check out this book. Um, yeah, they're plural. They're plural. Yeah, probably. Probably. We listen to it, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have, we have, we have spies, spouses. And- the reason I'm bringing it up um, is this thing that we kind of teased last episode, that it strikes me that news has so much to do with speed. Mm, mm-hmm. That news from nowhere, is a new way of being in utopia, isn't a fast thing. It doesn't need to be fast. You know, information doesn't have to travel quickly. Mm-hmm. But that this place where we are, there's the technologies that, that are stirred together to kind of create the cocktail of this contemporary moment are so much about speed. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I feel like this news anchor is both a sign of how fast these organizations want to relay information. Like, there's not even time to get a human on site to read a script. Um, But then also kind of how, like, the anchor model maybe is just phasing out altogether. uh, Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. There is... um, No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think this question of speed, I think... um, is really kind of worth worth thinking about because I because it is in some ways what um, kind of what the media seems to promise now, right? Mm-hmm. The you know there was an article in the uh, in the New York Times. Um, I guess I guess it's now I guess over six months ago. It was from March of the New York Times by Farhad Manju, um, and the article was the the title of it. For two months, I got my news from print newspapers, and here's what I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a which is a terrible headline. It's it's such a for for an, for a, uh, an article that promises to go back to the old, old like to look at the old ways of news. It's like it's such a it's a headline that is such like you know this man said he was not going to do this and guess what happened next um, <laughs> and here's what I learned. Uh, it's such like it's such like a social media headline. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, what the article was really about was um, this guy who was just felt like he was surrounded by this breaking news culture all the time and was just like, look, I'm just going to get my news from newspapers. So there is going to be anywhere from 24 to probably eight hours or eight to 24 hours between when something starts being talked about and when I will find out about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in particular, he started doing it. He had been already doing it for, for, uh, several weeks before the Parkland shooting happened, and and he didn't find out. He like he had like heard that something was happening through some like alert somewhere, but he didn't really find out any information about it until the newspaper reports the next morning. Mm-hmm. And rather than 
having missed a bunch of information, he had a significantly more accurate view of what happened during the Parkland shooting than people who watched it during, kind of watched things unfold from the breaking news. Because mm. during the time between when the news started to break and when it was like starting to be reported in newspapers the next morning, or when it was being reported in newspapers the next morning, there were there were false allegations. First, you know, it was being reported, um, and you could you could argue that some people were even had an interested view in reporting it as being sort of a, a Muslim terrorist attack. It being all these other things, right? By the next morning, most of these kind of like wild goose chase type speculation had been um, kind of corrected and all this, and then the next morning, everything is coming out with ju- you know kind of just the facts. Right. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you have opinion being expressed about those facts, but all of it is now being the narrative has now been resolved into a combination of the facts and then the analysis on top of the facts rather than wild speculation about what the facts might be. Um, And it's it really does get to this question of what is TV trying to do and what is or even beyond what is TV now, what is kind of the fastest possible news trying to do? because it doesn't seem like the thing that it's trying to do is be accurate, right? Yeah. Like it, it, if anything, I mean, I think the thing I remember most viscerally about this is when um, it was a big Supreme Court case that had just been reported. And I think it was a Supreme Court case on, gosh, I can't remember what it was on. I might have been on the rulings of whether Obamacare was legal or not or whether I forget which one it was but it was a big one and I just remember all these news like CNN news anchors everyone's kind of standing outside the Supreme Court waiting for the the ruling to be released so they could get like briefing on it so they could be the first people to report on this thing right Mm -hmm. but it's like but being the first person to report on it on a Supreme Court ruling it's like a ridiculous, it's really a ridiculous exercise if you think about it, because the information is all contained in the ruling. They're reporting on information that is finite in the ruling. And like, so sitting out there and trying to, it's not even like sitting, you know, by the phones to talk to the legal scholar who has the, you know, to get to that legal scholar first. It's literally to get to the ruling first, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, but that just getting into it first means not, like gives you no additional value than getting to it last if you're getting to it like five hours later because the information will not have changed in the ruling, right? Right. Although I wonder if this has more to do with the internet ecosystem that like if you are the first source to, to spill some news, then all of these kind of news aggregators and feeders will sort of scoop you up as the first link, you know? Well, exactly. And that's exactly right. And that's actually what we're dealing with on speed is we're not dealing with on whether it is a better news source. We're dealing with this kind of competitiveness that we get into in the news world, which is all about um, the fact that when, when the New York Times and the LA Times are directly in competition for being, um, or CNN, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, and all of that are directly in competition to cover the news of the day and to be the de facto kind of leader in it. Mm-hmm. We've there isn't there's not really that much space for us to have like all these different um, players covering national news in that way. So you kind of have winners and losers like you do in big tech everywhere. If Amazon yeah. can sell, you know, washing machines or whatever across the world or at least across the United States 
you know, it's it's kind of flattened the whole United States um, commercial ecosystem. And the news, you, the same thing's kind of happening with news. And the only way to distinguish yourself, it appears, is to be fast. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. how 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 else can you be faster than you don't even have to wait for your anchor to get to the studio? Well, you there's just... <laughs> there, there's one way you can be faster, and uh, to be a time traveler. Hmm. This is this. <laughs> Which I Go find so interesting. Uh, well, it's one of the things that I find really fascinating about William Morris's News from Nowhere is that this guy has to time travel into the future. You know mm -hmm. that this is uh, this is often a kind of subgenre called speculative fiction, which people often run alongside of uh, science fiction. Mm -hmm. And the News from Nowhere is one of many texts that influenced uh, H.G. Wells's The Time Machine just a couple years later. Um, and it's actually from an entire interesting subgenre of time travel stories. In some ways, News from no Nowhere is a response to this earlier text by, um, oh, what's his name? I think Edward Bellamy. Oh, no, he did the clock. Well, by, by another author who did um, Looking Backwards, uh, 2000 to 1888, where somebody goes mm -hmm. to the future in America and, and like, fosters a kind of socialism mm -hmm. um, that William Morris responds to. But what I think is really interesting about this is, is, is that in some ways, when William Morris posits this machineless future, he actually also implicitly imagines like the ultimate machine, the time machine, this thing mm. that if you imagine that we're reaching some sort of like uh, kind of vanishing point of like where, where speed and information are traveling at exactly the same pace, that at some point mm -hmm. you, you could imagine breaking that horizon and actually <laughs> you're moving so fast that you're you're moving to a place where the information hasn't even reached yet, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> or future information is there. This sort of thing. Right. Well, and in a less fanciful way, I would argue that we've already built time machines around our news. I mm -hmm. would I would argue that what five thirty eight, the political website that that um, talks about basically almost like its entire content base is around polling. Um, mm -hmm. And around statistically, like pr statistically modeling polls for the sake of predicting the future, and then managing the speculation about the future that you've predicted is mm -hmm. exactly that, right? We've created these predictive analytics, um, predictive analytics as a central source of our news content is all about basically like we've just created a mechanism by which we can we can in some scientific way be in the future and then create a whole other space where we're now debating about the future that we have seen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like and, that. I mean, I don't, right? I, I dislike that immensely. I actually think it's, it's incredibly damaging and dangerous. In the right, same way that time travel would be damaging and dangerous in that right. <laughs> when you exist in the future or the past, you change what it was slash can be, you know? Right, right, exactly. And I think that it's interesting to me that as we've gained more and more information and as we've, we've um, created the ability to, uh, if not be accurate about the future, although one could say that um, polling, you know, outside of 2016, and even that I think has been misread at times, the polling on that has been misread as uh, um, the statistical likelihood of Trump, for example, getting elected was not impossible. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was like it was one out of four, right? Which if you and if you've ever, you know, tried to select twenty five percent, you're like, yeah, no, it happens fairly frequently. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, as we've created this mechanism for 
for pretty accurately predicting the next thing that's going to happen, even if it's in these very fixed things like mm -hmm. elections or something. Um, we've started living, our entire kind of discourse has started living in this future environment that we've uh, kind of fabricated. Mm -hmm. um, how, if you read, if you look through a newspaper now, um, I mean, and by look for, through a newspaper, I mean scroll through a newspaper website, um, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing how many of the articles that are written are about something that happened versus some form of living in a speculative future about either opining on what is likely to happen or, or reporting on something that is saying this is going to happen because of X report or X um, mm -hmm. predictive model or something. And I would, I would, I would wager a guess that about 25% of our news content is now, is now living in the future in some way, shape or form. I, I think this is so smart. I, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> No, because it makes me think about whenever I read an article about climate change, there's always mm -hmm. this sort of like, uh, maybe once every two or three weeks, there's an article that's like, hey, this is happening right now. You right. Know? <laughs> right. We get so used to being like, oh, it's coming. It's coming 2040, right. you know, 2070. Like, right. uh, this thing is coming. And then like, someone almost has to be like, like, the news anchors are almost like time travelers who have traveled to the past now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, hey, I'm 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 living back here in the present, just so you know right. climate change is also happening here. Right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um it's like we, we are like the living the exact opposite of that, like that Zen cone of like live in the present. It's like, nope, nope. We almost none of us actually at this point in our lives, uh in this point of history live in the present. Um we don't even live in the past. We are perpetually living in the future now. Um yeah. Led, led, by, led by news anchors who are, uh, you know, artificially reporting from the future apparently now. Yeah, yeah. And it makes so much sense, too, because, I mean, you also, you know, some of the worst sins of uh, science and technology reporting has to do with taking some kind of breakthrough and then reporting it as if the breakthrough isn't like the beginning of something yeah. interesting, but rather yep. the end. Yep. Yeah, no, I think there's, I, I think that's really common. I remember reading, I think there was a, um, a New Yorker piece that was written years ago about somebody who had, um, they had some early success about like essentially solar paint, like you could mm -hmm. paint things and create, essentially you could, you could derive energy off of painted surfaces. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like they had the, the reporting that was done on it. And I don't think the reporting was done unethically, um, but basically people were waiting for this to be available in stores. Um, and it's like, well, that's not at all where this is. Like this is, this is the, the earliest, earliest, earliest form of this. Um, nonetheless, you know, again, like the, the, the reporting on these things, I think imagines the future. Right. And if there's yeah. value in that at times, I mean, I think there's also, I think as we besmirch this tendency, I think it's also worth saying that, um, human beings may be the only species that can ultimately survive kind of overpopulation dynamics because we keep being able to predict how to respond um, and keep changing our environment such that we can continue to like avoid kind of massive spikes and crashes in the way that, you know, I, that, that classic deer wolf population spike flow that you see in sort of like your, your middle school biology class. Mm -hmm. Um, um so, you know, as we go into this, I mean, we're kind of, we're, we're getting kind of later on in this conversation. I actually want to bring up a different William Morris as one final thing to consider. There's around... another William Morris? 
there is another William Morris. He runs a famous talent agency. William Morris, <laughs> William Morris, uh, I think it's William Morris, I think it's WMA now is actually the official uh, term, or the official name of it. But William Morris is the famous uh, talent agency for To The Stars. Um, and I think about like what what other reason beyond speed is there for having a uh, you know artificially intelligent anchors? And to me, the the other thing is that well, they don't end up in compromised positions. They don't demand raises. They don't demand you know they you don't get uh, locked into kind of really. Um, you know, whatever a human's individual issues are, you don't get locked into that. Like the leverage that corporations and news organizations have over the over their talent skyrockets when you can just basically produce talent, um, you know, as a as a, a byproduct of some sort of uh, uh, computer system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which strikes me as so interesting that. Our, our William Morrises are are interestingly aligning in terms of uh, being representatives of laborers, <laughs> right, right, and and I and I do think, and I don't know that it's it, it's not it's not worth a huge amount of speculation about it, but I think it does get to the idea for me about calling these anchors AI, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I am not actually sure in these anchors what of this is. AI, like artificial intelligence to me, it actually seems to indicate that traditional anchors have been intelligent. Um, <laughs> and, and again, as we talked about before, that's not actually the case. It's not that traditional anchors have, don't have human intelligence on their own. I'm sure, I'm sure Cronkite and, you know, Brokaw and all those. Yeah, I, I'm sure they're all... Uh, intelligent people, but in their role as the as the person sitting in front of the camera reading the news out loud, um, that is hardly the the representation of the greatest achievements of human intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if anything, the 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 intelligence that they bring to the situation have happened long before they sit on in front of the camera to read the news. Um, so, I one of the things that struck me most, the biggest misnomer about this entire thing, is that that this is in fact artificial intelligence. To me, this is in fact just CGI. Mm-hmm. I think oh. I think where AI is involved, it has to do with just the facial mapping or whatever, like getting exactly. the lips to move in accordance with the words. Right, right. Which is which is in fact probably the more accurate uh, representation of what AI is doing now, which is actually just creating these kind of depictions and flow models and things like that. That as words have even some sentiment analysis to them, the, the, um, maybe the, the anchor changes a little bit in tone or something, but for the most part, frankly, like, you know, these are, I'm not trying to take away from the advances in technology that gives us even something resembling a, a kind of natural human presentation. Um, but now we're really talking about kind of all of Robert Zemeckis's films, yeah. <laughs> um, Polar Express, uh, um, Beowulf, kind of all those weird like motion capture films that like are just hard to love. Um, it's like okay, well that's you know, or even even more recently, you know, the fact that we we were able to produce General Tarkin and Tarkenton, whatever the yeah, uh, I don't know. 
That's, I think, the Star Wars Tarkanian. guy. Yeah, exactly. Where the guy had been dead for 25 years and we were able to uh, bring him back and perform him. And it's like, that's a, that's a great, that is an impressive achievement. It's an impressive achievement that may very well violate kind of the, you know, the, the rights of actors and performers everywhere. Um, but intelligence, it really isn't. But it, from a news, from news conglomerates who really, one of their biggest liabilities is for their, for their information products to be compromised by their performers. You know, I think it's a, uh, there is, there's something there to kind and, of and what the news has become such that these things now are existing. So then I would, I would put it to you. Um, yes. do you think that, that we are headed towards a Robert Zemeckis produced, uh, kind of, uh, two dimensional artificially intelligent emotive emoticon instant news state news future uh or uh which we will call apocalypse uh or <laughs> i don't know that sounds utopian yeah or <laughs> yeah <laughs> are we maybe headed towards the kind of uh william morris the 19th century william morris uh point uh, kind of sort of vanishing point where where information becomes so fast that we realize uh, to stop worrying and just love uh, wallpaper and, and give up on this whole industrial capitalism thing and realize that beauty and human interaction and community are, are sort of the, the fundamental forms of information uh, and that news does not need to be news qua uh, talking head news. <laughs> I like in both cases, journalism as just a fundamental principle of government doesn't exist. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, feel free to pose something different. <laughs> no, but apocalypse or utopia. Our AI robot overlords are now reporting the news to us. Ah, oh, gosh. Well, so I don't think there's anything good about this, frankly. <laughs> but I don't know that I've ever thought there was anything that good about TV news. So... Mm -hmm. It's, it feels a little bit like it's like this really solid thing. It's just a little bit more solid. Um, mm -hmm. So I think my general feelings about the principle of this particular thing, it's, I think, as you said it earlier, I think it's a lateral move. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think to the degree that someone like Shep Smith, who, you know, the, the anchor for Fox News, who mm -hmm. kind of makes news every once in a while by seeming slightly chagrined about what his own you know, organization does. Mm -hmm. um, and since that organization seems to be functioning a little bit like state-run media at the moment, um, I mean, I think there's, you certainly, by, by creating kind of robot-processed um, reporters of the news or readers of the news, I guess you lose that, but that seems like a fairly small loss. I'm not sure that Chef Smith has changed any hearts and minds in ways that I think are... Um, are really that impactful. Um, and I think if he did, I'm not sure that he would still be reporting for Fox News. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for the most part, it feels irrelevant. Um, I think the bigger question for me about what this obsession with news as new, I think is maybe the bigger issue is just this obsession with speed, the um, and whether the fastest news outlets start becoming the primary news outlets and whether being the primary news outlets then like basically create so much shade that the other ones don't exist. I think that's the bigger issue. Um, so I'm going to give it a light, I'm going to give it a lightly apocalyptic uh, score of like a four. 
because I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that it adds value. If I could, see, if someone could convince me that this trend added a whole lot of value in another way, but even with some of its, I guess you know, minor downsides, I guess it could mm. be talked up. But I'm not sure where it like I'm not sure where adding twenty percent more incremental speed to what is already seems like a frenzied, obnoxious news cycle um, mm. really adds anything. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's going to do more damage than you know just all the hurricane reporting that seems to happen with, you know, anchors standing in breezy conditions. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it a four and say, uh, yeah, like, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm all with you on this four thing. I will say one thing that, that, uh, we'll do a future episode on, on automated test scoring. Uh, cause this is a, uh, a kind of hobby horse of mine, but I, I've I've always maintained you you can definitely give students uh, tests that get graded by machines, but my one caveat would be you have to allow the students to opt out and have their test filled out by a robot too. Right. Um, <laughs> that yeah, I mean, it, and, and it's funny in this world of like fake Twitter Twitter followers and fake Facebook accounts and this kind of stuff. I feel like yeah, I've, I'm fine with the fake news anchor as long as. Uh, Sure. We could also just have fake people watching the fake anchor, right? And then we could just escape the situation entirely. <laughs> right. Exactly. And to be honest, I think for the most part, the last time I watched like TV news, I think I, I don't. I think it might have been like not counting staying at a hotel somewhere where they're like in the mornings, like something's on. Like I mean, like legitimately sit down and turned on the TV and like watched a whole news program. I think yeah. you could probably start counting that in the in the number of years. Yeah. Like I I literally don't think I've turned on like TV news. Um, yeah. It's just, it'll be funny. Years years from now, you'll switch it on and it'll just be like a like a Chuck E. Cheese animatronic mouse. Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh. oh, all right. When did when did that happen? Um, but yeah. No. So are we are are we on four? Are we on like yeah? It's it's just a sign of the yeah. times. We it's got it. Great. We solved it. The uh, nice. The new uh, artificial new intelligent news anchor is a four. Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably a part of the downward trend, but uh, okay. Well, it's it's not even rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's uh, it's it's more like uh, yeah, it's more like which what's the band playing? Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, sir. Uh, I think it's a, this is one of those, those ones where I'm not sure that there was, there was much to report on, but I think the conversation itself was, uh, was the important thing is that, uh, we broke some news. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The important thing was that we did this more topically. We got to this quicker (laughs) than we got to the one that we just did about the Pittsburgh shooting. (laughs) Yeah. The one before that about the world cup. So yeah, exactly. Where we we missed uh, the world cup by eight weeks. We, uh, (laughs) we, we, we seem to have an anti news bias. Exactly. I don't think anyone's going to accuse us on, of reporting on things too fast. <laughs> it's like, no, we, we didn't report on things. Our inaccuracy is not based on the fact that the facts were not in yet. <laughs> it's yep. just we did not look for them. Oh, good. Got it. Nice. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. All right. Love you, man. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye.